If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. Of course, it's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from their podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, welcome back to 100% Cars. My name is Nicola Lombard and this is episode 3. I'm very excited about today's episode. I'm going to be talking to the vintage racer who has been racing for years and also an avid car enthusiast, Mark Sherman. But first, I have some exciting news and that is we are officially bringing on a co-host. His name is Colin Domang and I've known him for years and he's just as much of a car enthusiast as I am. Quillen and I will officially be co-hosting the next episode, and I'm excited for you guys to meet him. It's going to be great. And remember, you guys can go follow me on Instagram at NicoLombard45 for more information on the podcast. Now let's get started. Imagine a 1967 MG zooming up the windy road of a mountain, back and forth as it twists and turns, while a 1956 Porsche 356A is right on its tail. Both cars are fighting for position as they careen toward the finish line, the racing decals blurred as they zoom by. Mark Sherman knows all about the thrill of racing cars just like these. The first question I wanted to ask you is, how old were you when you realized your love for cars? Zero. I said, just like you said, my mother told me my first word was car. (laughs) And and when I was probably, by the time I was 10, Mm -hmm. I could tell the difference between all the different makes. Oh, wow. And, you know, back in the 50s, all the cars had distinctive looks. So just from a distance, if it had three portholes on the side, it was a Buick. Mm-hmm. If it had round taillights, it was a Chevrolet. Yeah. And and there was a lot of commonality, and the cars had a lot of personality. Yeah. Whereas today, most cars all look the same. Mm-hmm. All right. So the same question I wanted to ask you was, what was the first car you ever owned? The first car I ever owned was a 1971 Dodge Demon. Oh, nice. You hear that? <laughs> but it wasn't nice. It was a real economy car. Uh-huh. It wasn't It wasn't the uh, Demon 340 muscle car. Yeah. yeah. It was the bottom of the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Six, slant six. I bought it. It was one year old. Mm-hmm. I was a senior in college. Oh, wow. Okay. I grew up, I grew up in Brooklyn mm-hmm. in an apartment. And I n- never had my own car until I was a senior in college. Okay, wow. And I was only able to buy it because I had saved up money from summer jobs. And I had a scholarship to college. Oh, okay. And by the, when I was uh, about to graduate, I was going to graduate school in Chicago. And I needed a car to get there. And I wanted an MG. Mm-hmm. You know what an MG is? Yes, I've heard of an MG, yeah. I wanted an MG. I was a little two-seater sports car from yeah. England. And it, I knew it wasn't practical. And I needed a car that I could like put all my stuff in. This car was, uh, it was a 1971. And this was the spring of 72. So it was only a year old. Okay. And it had l- less than 10,000 miles on it. And my younger cousin had a friend. And uh, this car was in her friend's garage. 
And it was at that time in the early 70s, cars had very bright colors. Actually, they're making some, some of the Chrysler products today are in this, they're using this very bright green color. Yeah, I've and seen that. that was yeah. the color. That was the color of my car. It was, that was the <laughs> hip, hip color. Yeah. And I, I didn't really like it, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was known to be a very reliable, economical car. And, that was, and I had very little money, so yeah. I had to be very practical. And that was what I got. And it was great because it got me all the way through college and graduate yeah. school. Nice. And, and I think I paid $2,000 for the car. Okay, wow. When I think a brand new one was almost $3,000. Okay. So it was good, a very yeah. good buy. Mm-hmm. And they say when you buy a used car, don't buy the car. Buy the owner. Yeah. Huh. Because if you know that the owner was good and took care of it, Mm-hmm. Everything else that you see is is irrelevant. Okay. So if you know it, if you're buying it from somebody who know loves cars and kept the car for a long time, or I I didn't know the the, the grandfather. What happened is the girl's grandfather owned the car, and they took it on a trip to Canada, and mm-hmm. they came back, and then he had a heart attack and died, unfortunately. Oh wow! So the car was sitting in the grant in the in the in the, the granddaughter's garage for months, mm-hmm. needing to be sold. So when my cousin heard I needed a car, she told me and I ran over there and I bought it immediately. Yeah. The trunk, nothing was touched in the trunk. Like the original paper from the was oh. in the trunk. Oh wow. You know, the spare yeah. tire, whatever tools they can everything was yeah. completely brand new. Wow. No air conditioning. Vintage racing is uh like gentleman gentleman or gentlewoman type racing. It's not there are no prizes. Um, it's just really to go out and have fun with the cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we honor a, typically we have several types of events. We have on track events, which look like a race, but they're not really considered races. Like I guess for insurance purposes, mm-hmm. there are no prizes, and and most of the clubs don't even announce who the winners are. Okay. Every, so basically, you're just you're trying to beat your best times, but you're out there with cars and you're dicing with cars. Then they have events called hill climbs, and there are some traditional hill climbs in the Northeast, like in Vermont, there's a Mount Equinox hill climb, where you ra- we race up the mountain, and then it's just you against the mountain, one car at a okay. time. Oh, wow. Okay. You and the clock. There's another one in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is a very short one. The one in uh, Mount Equinox goes, I, I don't know, maybe five miles up the mountain mm-hmm. with many, many switchbacks. It's very dramatic. And when you get to the top, the scenery is gorgeous. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then we have rallies, which are more of a social event. Yeah, yeah. Where basically yeah. you're driving from place to place. And our club, those are the kind of events. And sometimes there are the concourse, but our club is really not into that. We're really into using the cars and there are several vintage racing organizations in the country ours is the oldest and the most conservative okay and typically most of the cars that we have are made before 1965. okay yeah so anything newer than that is is not eligible to rate you know we may allow them to do one event but they can't join the club and they can't use the car on a regular basis Uh, the car has to be very, um, 
consistent with the original design. It, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a Ferrari, it needs a Ferrari engine. Yeah. If it's an MG, it needs an MG engine of the same type. You can't, you can't like they have these resto mods today, where you can put a brand new engine in an old car. They call yeah, it a resto yeah. mod. That's not permitted at all. It can't use a replica. It has to be a genuine car with the genuine drivetrain. And you can do any upgrades for horsepower or performance or handling that would be uh, appropriate for the time period. Oh, okay. And my next question is, what really got you started with racing cars? Good, good question. Okay. I always wanted a sports car. Mm-hmm. But to have a sports car, you need a few different things. First of all, you need money. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily a lot of money because there are a lot of not, there are really great cars you can buy. You can buy a used Miata for a couple thousand dollars today yes. and have just as much fun as a guy in a Ferrari. And I'm not kidding about that. Yeah. Um, but you do need some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a place to put it, and you need to be able to work on it or have somebody to work on it. So you have to have all those three things at the same time. And it wasn't until I was 40 years old that I had all those three things at the same time. Typically, my car was always uh, a practical car. I think the first new car that I bought on my own was a 1981 Honda Mm. Accord. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was an awesome little car. Um. At that time, I had just been married a couple of years, and my wife had a Pontiac Firebird <laughs> when we got married, which is like very similar to a Camaro. Mm-hmm. They don't make Pontiacs anymore, but it was like the sister version. It was the worst car I ever owned. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It was like only made to look good. It, was, mm-hmm. it performed horribly. It had a big engine. It was inefficient. It was big on the outside, small on the inside. Yeah. And then when I traded that and I went into this little Honda sedan, it was an eye-opening experience because it was total efficiency. It was a little four-cylinder engine with a five-speed manual transmission, Mm -hmm. and it was a load of fun to drive, very efficient, and it could drive circles around that Pontiac. Well, another reason the Pontiac was so bad, all cars were bad in 1975. Mm -hmm. You know why? I do not know why. In, in 1970, the U.S. government passed the Clean Air Act, which uh. stipulated clean air standards. And they gave the car company, they started tightening up on the air pollution standards in 68, 69, 70. But in 75, the standards changed drastically and really started to limit the pollutants coming out of a car. And the car companies had not yet caught up to it. And they didn't really have technology to make the cars perform well efficiently. Yeah. And, but the Japanese were ahead of them because fuel was very expensive in Japan mm-hmm. or in Europe also. So they made small, efficient cars. And the Honda was beautifully engineered car. And at that time, there were very few of them. And then at that time, Honda really became popular. Until now, it's one of the most popular cars on the road. Yeah, for sure. And what makes racing so special to you? That's a great question. Uh, one of the best things about it is the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. The people I've met, 
They're all enthusiasts. Uh, we all have very similar interests. So I hope you enjoyed the first half of the interview. We're going to take a slight break and have some trivia. If you have watched my previous episode, you will know how trivia works. If you don't, basically I will give you a trivia question and it will be a multiple choice. You can pause or quickly write down the answer on what you think the answer would be. Then at the end of the episode, I will give you the answers. So for the first trivia question, it is how did the Ford Mustang get its name? Is it A, a herd of wild B, a World War II fighter, C, Henry Ford's wife, or D, play on words for horsepower. For question two, the question is which car is considered to be the first muscle car? Is it A, the 1963 Buick Rivera? Is it, the, is it B, 1962 Chevrolet Amala? Is it C, a 1967 Chevrolet Camaro? Is it D, the 1964 Ford Mustang? Or is it E, the 1964 Pontiac GTO? And for our last trivia question, it is what is the world's largest automotive company? Is it A, the Volkswagen Group? Is it B, General Motors? Is it C, Ford Motors? Or is it D, Toyota Motors? All right, guys, so hopefully you guys pause the video and you've written down on what you think the answers will be. And remember, um, at the end of the episode, I will give you the answers. Now back to the interview. And why do you still race today? It's a great release. When, when, you're, when you're racing, you're uh, totally focused on what you're doing. If you have any trouble or problems or something, you can't, no time to think about the problems. Yeah. Typically in vintage racing, the driver is also the crew, <laughs> yeah. the mechanic, you know, the, yeah. you're doing everything yourself. I mean, some guys come supported by a company and they have a yeah. hired crew working for yeah. them. Uh, we don't do that. We're yeah. basically, if the car breaks, we try to fix it ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, I'm also with a group called the MG Vintage Racers, which is a great group of friends. We all help each other. You know, you think if it's a race, you want to have the fastest car, but everyone's helping everyone be faster yeah. than they are. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea, people will share their ideas. Yeah. If a car breaks, everybody comes over to help fix it. So it's, it's, I don't know any other situation like that yeah. where friends work together, all competitors work together. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And are there any dangers with the cars you race? Yes, there are dangers, definitely dangerous. Mm-hmm. But I think most sports have some risk involved. Yeah. Skiing, I would say it's probably about as dangerous as skiing. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, downhill skiing. Um, I've seen terrible accidents, uh, but few and luckily they're few and far between. Okay. And in order to put your car on the track, there's a whole list of safety requirements that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. You have to have a roll bar. You have to have a five-point harness. You have to wear um, a Nomex suit, which is fire retarding. Mm-hmm. You need either a fire extinguisher or a fire suppression system in the car. So we do whatever we can to minimize the risk. And we're driving very carefully. The rules are you can't contact another car. Yeah. But I was hit by, I was hit by another car once. He was, I thought he was driving recklessly, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't in our club. I was in it with participating with another club and our club is much more conservative. Yeah. The only time I had an accident in my club was when I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty bad accident, but um, luckily all, I had all the safety equipment, so I was fine. Perfect. 
And can you tell me why you own the cars you do today and what makes them special? Well, the MG I bought almost 30 years ago mm-hmm. at an auction. Okay. Like I said, I always wanted a sports car. Now, MG was the first sports car that came to America from Europe. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Uh-huh. And in the early 1950s, believe it or not, the MG was the most popular imported car in America. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Okay. And, it, and it, it held that status until the Volkswagen Beetle became popular. Yeah. <laughs> and they sold millions of cars. I think the, the MGB, which was a car that they made through the 1970s, sold, they sold eventually a half a million cars. So okay. it was a very popular, very, they were very popular cars. And even though they were impractical, to use for everyday transportation, people did, enthusiastic yeah. did. So I wa- always wanted an MG. Yeah. And uh, I went to this fancy car auction at Bridgehampton, Long Island. Okay. And I finally was in a position where I had enough money to buy a car. And I had looked at a lot of cars to buy and, and didn't, and I wasn't, re- I wasn't even looking for an MG in particular. I was looking for a different car, but this one came up for auction and it had, it looked very good and had yeah. some special, it had a supercharger, which was oh, very unusual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about, about it, but I had a gut feel that it was correct. Mm-hmm. And I was right. It was, the car was perfectly correct and perfectly original. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got lucky with the car. I mean, it, it needed some work, but nothing major. And then I was just using it in, I live in New Jersey and I could just take it on the back roads and have fun with it. One great yeah. thing about small displacement cars, because mm-hmm. of little engines is you can really use them to their full, full extent. Yeah. Like a Corvette is a very fast car with a big engine. Yeah. And you, it's too fast to really enjoy it on the street. Yeah. In my, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can take them in the interstate and get a you know, radar detector and go 130 miles an hour yeah. and end up in jail. Yeah. <laughs> but a car with little displacement, you can take on a country road or a twisty road or in California, you take it on that one when the mountains there, mm-hmm. I forgot to go through Malibu and you can have all the fun you want, like under 60 miles an hour. Yeah. And they say it's more fun to drive a slow car fast. Yeah. Than a fast car. Yeah. It's yeah. more it's more about the driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not so much about the motor. Mm-hmm. So perfect. That was the reason I like yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me an interesting story that involves racing? An interesting story involves racing. Mm. It's a tough one. Yeah, you don't have to answer. Well, in in our club, most of the cars that are racing are uh, sports cars that were common in the fifties and sixties. But we do like to have pre-war cars, cars that were made before World War Two, oh. mm-hmm. and there's few and far between. But at that time, there was some, you know, we call it road racing. It's not yeah. really on a road. It's on a track that looks like a road. And there were two tracks 
that got started in the mid fifties. Okay. And where they were actually racing through the streets. And one was at Bridgehampton, Long Island, mm -hmm. and one was at Watkins Glen, New York. Okay. Also, I think also in Monterey, California, they raced on the streets. Yeah. And when the cars got to be uh, too fast in the streets, too dangerous in the streets, then they built these tracks. Okay. But we, we try to encourage these earlier cars, and they're also interesting because they all have very different designs. So I like to go and uh, to events that have the pre-war cars and just look at the cars yeah. and see engines that you never saw before. And uh, that event that I, I wrote the article about, mm -hmm. the Goodwood Revival in England, is, pro is probably the, the greatest vintage racing event in the world. Okay. People come from all over the world. And England is like the home of Formula One Grand Prix yeah. and the home of a lot of racing and a lot of restoration. And it was an amazing experience to go there and spend three days there and stand next to some, you know, hearing heroes from racing mm -hmm. and uh, see cars that have been world famous for decades. Yeah. All right. Is that is that interesting enough? Yes. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just wanted to wrap up with: Were there any unexpected challenges when getting started in racing? That's a good question. Oh, I don't know if it's unexpected or not, but a lot of people that I race with had an easy entry into vintage racing. Yeah. Uh, their fathers or their grandfathers were they may have been racing in the fifties. And then they became vintage racers okay. or they started at an older age and were vintage racers. But most people had a friend or a relative who was doing this before and made it easy for them. Yeah. It's very easy to, if you know somebody's doing it. But I had a, a real passion for it and I didn't know anybody who did it. Mm -hmm. And I basically found my way to join the club, meet the people, get the appropriate car, and make a lot of friends mm -hmm. and, and without knowing any anybody there and uh, i thought that was a personal accomplishment yeah. and there was an older gentleman that i met one of the first times i went out his name was charlie parmelli okay and uh, we became good friends and unfortunately he's passed away mm -hmm. but he one of the first people i met and he would always kid me after years later mm -hmm. that the first event i went to I had a rented U-Haul with a U-Haul trailer. Yeah. And I had my MG on the back of the U-Haul trailer. And he would always rid me that I looked so inappropriate <laughs> coming onto the racetrack with this thing. Yeah. And he passed away three or four years ago. And since that time, I found a picture, a very famous racer, world-class racer, Sam Posey. Okay. Lives right in the neighborhood of Lime Rock Park in Connecticut. He's also written many books about racing oh, okay. and he was a commentator on TV for formula one racing, a very um, accomplished guy. And it, I found a picture of him. He started racing at Lime Rock because he grew up right on East could bicycle to the track and he got to meet the track management and he was able to practice there as a kid. Oh, okay. And that's how he became eventually became a professional world and formula one driver. But we, I found a picture of him arriving at Lime Rock 
with a Trans Am car oh, yeah. on the back of a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, Charlie is gone, yeah. but I would love to show him the picture. But yeah. he always rid me in a nice way. Yeah. I think he, I think he, he also he didn't have a lot of money. Never had a lot of money. Yeah. And I think he appreciated the fact that I like, came out of nowhere yeah. with no support and was able to compete. And we're competing, some are competing with, with Ferraris or Maseratis that are worth millions of dollars. Okay. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so Good. much. I, like, Nico, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, it was. Good luck with your project. Yes, thank you. And if you need to know any more, don't hesitate to call me. Pleasure chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mark Sherman. And I'm so fortunate to interview people like him. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast. All right, guys. So for trivia question answers. So for the answer for question one, the correct answer is a World War II fighter jet. For the answer of trivia question two, which is which car is considered to be the first muscle car? It is the 1964 Pontiac GTO. And for our last trivia question, for what is the world's largest automotive company? The correct answer is Toyota Motors. Hi, I hope you guys got them right. And I hope you enjoy trivia. Please let me know by going to my website. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And I'm so happy that we are now finally on episode three. And there are many more episodes to come. Please leave feedback by sending a message through my website so I know what I can improve on. Thank you. Finally, guys, this is the last episode of me being a solo host. Our next episode will be with the amazing Quillen. So be ready for some really fun episodes. Thanks for tuning in today's episode of 100% Cars. I'll see you next time.